Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and I am so delighted to be sitting across from Laura Zygmunt today. Um, she's the author of Animal Husbandry, which was made into the movie Someone Like You, starring Hugh Jackman and Ashley Judd, dating Big Bird, Piece of Work, and Her. And her latest novel is called Separation Anxiety. Welcome. Thank so you. happy to have you here. Happy to be here. And I feel like now more than ever, we need a book about a woman who holds a dog in a sling. I thought so. <laughs> I thought so because life is so hard and so grim right now. Yeah. You have to take your comfort where you find it. And I do find like I – anytime there's bad news, which is constantly <laughs> – you know, I I put a photo of my dog on Twitter, and uh, it's a it's a easy little thing that might help. Same in the slightest slightest way. Same. The worse the news gets, the more dog pictures I put up. Absolutely. So tell me how how you came to the character of Judy and and decided that she would use a like a, a baby sling to hold her. <laughs> 20-ish pound dog, Sheltie? You know, that's a good question. I um, wrote about Judy because I always write semi-autobiographical fiction. And I really wanted to write about someone who was going through the stuff that I was going through in mm -hmm. middle age, well into my 50s, which is different than 40s. Um, being in your 50s just felt really different. Mm. And I wanted to kind of write what it feels like to feel like, you need the actual comfort of an animal yeah. <laughs> on you all the time. Um, she's the Judy. The character is in her fifty. She's fifty. She, her son is a teenager. She mm -hmm. is technically separated from her husband, though they still live together because they can't afford to get divorced. And her parents have died, and she's just experienced a tremendous amount of loss, including her career. And so she accidentally finds uh, her son's old baby sling in the basement when she's trying to Marie Kondo yes. for clutter. And and she's down there confronted with all these old memories of all these old things of her son's. Um, and she finds the sling and just out of just sheer need for that kind of mm -hmm. warmth, she put, she goes upstairs and, and has this urge to fill the sling with something and, oh boy, there's the dog. <laughs> and she puts the dog in and even though it's ridiculous and embarrassing and her son thinks she's weird for wearing the dog and her husband's kind of thinks she's – and everyone thinks she's weird, she doesn't really care. She just wears it anyway. And did you research <laughs> like uh... – how a dog does in a sling. You like know, I didn't because I'm a real Googler. And that was uh -huh. one time I thought, you know what, I, it didn't – actually, it didn't occur to me. I started writing this in 2015 and it didn't occur to me to even Google it because I thought it's ridiculous. No one wears their dog. And I – of course, now it's like there's that great account on Instagram called Bag Dogs. <laughs> and there are slings actually made, made – for, for, yeah. made, made for dogs. And there are backpacks and mar people like Margaret Cho wear their dogs. Yeah. In actual slings on the red carpet. So, but this was like years ago, and I just didn't. I thought, oh, I'm making this up, and I don't want to get my head full of reality. Um, and it, it turns out people do it. People really do it. But at the time, I was really. I think it came to me because I was late to um, pets. I didn't grow up with dogs. I didn't grow oh. up with cats. My uh, father was allergic, and so 
I got a do- we got a dog when my son was eight because he really wanted to have a sibling, and everyone said get a dog, and so we did get a dog. <gasps> Just like Teddy course, in the book, yeah, yeah, didn't didn't really hit him as a sibling, but it, I ended up really bonding with the dog. And right after we got the dog, my mother got sick. And it just suddenly became clear, like, oh, this is why, this is what people have been telling me my whole life about how dogs make you feel. They just absorb everything. And I think that's where the fictional aspect came in. Yeah. Instant comfort. Total. Total. And I think, you know, I just had um, Ada Calhoun on, yeah. on the show. And it seems like your novel is kind of a fictionalized version of what she's writing about yeah. in terms of hit middle age, and we don't have it all. What a shock. No, we have it all at different times. Yeah. If, if you're lucky, you have it all at different times. You yeah. You have it all at the same time, and I think that's part of it. And and the career stuff is for, for Judy and maybe yeah. for <laughs> anyone else who's listening. Um <laughs> It's shock. It still shocks me, yeah, that people who have done so much good work um, end up sometimes as content creators. Yes, funny you should mention that. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, the character is a children's book writer who had a really successful animated series on PBS, and then a decade later can't get anything going on and ends up working, you know, online for some wellness site and. Of course, there are parallels in my life. I had published four <laughs> novels, had a movie made, and everyone thinks like, oh, you're set, and you're really not. You hit your 40s or stuff starts to happen. You drop out for a few years, as I did, being part of the sandwich generation. And mm-hmm. you wake up and you have no career, and it's really hard to go back to writing. Sometimes, I, I mean, for me, it was like a lack of confidence. I just felt mm-hmm. like I didn't feel like I could do it again, and I did other things. And... um it's just really hard to feel like you failed in a way, even though in reality, success comes and goes and people's careers go up and down and everybody has those dips. Yeah. Almost everybody has those dips. And and it seems like people's perceptions of your career, like it's still Laura Zygman, very successful novelist. And yeah. uh, even even on the days where, you know, you're not really feeling that. Yeah. Yeah, it swings from that to just – I mean, I was out of fiction writing for so long. It's been 14 years so that it really did become this really bifurcated feeling. Like I had a life before and then I had this other life where I would go – you know, a lot of my friends were still publishing a great deal. I was on – you know, I was on social media cheering right. everyone on and and I did because th- I've always felt like there's room for everyone. I, I don't feel like, oh, you know, they're getting the thing right. or not. But – but after a while, I, I faded and receded out into another realm where I just – I personally didn't see myself as ever having done it. You know, I just felt really out of it. So What got you back? You know, I got to be friends with a lot of writers, which is a real irony because I started my career as a book publicist. And right. I worked in, at different divisions of Random House for 10 years. And all my best friends are still my best friends from publishing. Same. And I also felt like after having been a publicist and working with writers for 10 years, that I did not want to socialize with them. <laughs> it was so stressful and they were so – they all complained. And I just – once I became a novelist and was publishing, I just like did not – I never seek, sought out writers. I didn't feel like they were my people. I just – I'm also kind of a loner too. But so – 
when I found myself living in Cambridge, we sold our house in the suburbs and moved into Cambridge um, about five or six years ago. And I suddenly became friends with a whole bunch of I had, you know, been friends with like Julie Clam and Anne Leary, and right. they, those were my peeps. And then I moved into Cambridge, and a new friend of mine was Alice Hoffman, and an old um, teacher of mine lives in Cambridge, um, and she was there, and everyone was friends, and we just would get together a lot. And Alice really became like my day to day person who was like, "You have to write, you have to do it again." Mm. And my friends Julie and Anne were always like encouraging, and so I started to just hang out with writers who encouraged me, yeah. and they really just said. You know, just just do it. Just do it. That's that's so wonderful, yeah. especially because I feel like as a publicist, you're seeing writers at the apex of yeah. all of their stress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, not the best version not of the themselves. prettiest thing. Yeah, no, it's not. And it is. <laughs> and to be fair, it's really, really stressful. It's like I used to be yeah. a waitress. And oh, when you waitress, you're dealing with people at the worst moment. They're hungry. And they're hang- they're hangry. <laughs> they're and hangry. So, so it's unpleasant because they they sit down and they're just like their worst worst moment. And same with with authors, like you just said. It's like and it's and it's not fair because you know they've worked all these years on a book yeah. and they have like this Three short days window to-, to like make it work. And the pressure is enormous. And so I had a lot of compassion, of course, but I also just felt like you know life's too short. I don't really want to be around people like that. Yeah. Of course, now I am, and it's great. But um, I I, I love that though. Um. Tell me about invisibility, the invisibility of middle That's age. That's such a good question. You know, I have experienced invisibility in so many different ways. You know, like you get your hair cut and the guy is cutting your hair and he just fluffs it and goes, this actually happened. He, he was so bored. And I was in my 40s. I wasn't even in my 50s. He sort of stood behind me fluffing what he had just cut and he goes, good enough? Yeah, good enough. Like, it was just good Yikes. enough. Yeah. And then, and then you know, the multiple trips to Trader Joe's where they're so friendly. <laughs> and then you reach a point, you reach it, and I really do think it's your 50s because 40s is a whole different – there's something that you exude in your 40s that somehow isn't exuded in your 50s. But you go into Trader Joe's and it just happened time after time after time where, like, the guy would be super friendly to the woman in front of me, a young mom or a single woman and really friendly to the woman in back because I would wait just to see, like, is it my imagination? Oh, no, he's really friendly to the person behind me too. And it would get to be my turn. And it was like he didn't make eye contact, didn't talk to me, nothing. It was just like pushing my stuff through just to get to the next person. And I think it has some kind of evolutionary biological thing. I don't know. But it just after – and there's a part of me that really – likes that because right. like one day I had my hair colored and it was raining and I, I had gotten this great blowout. Which happens, might happen to Judy in the book right. too. It happens, right. I just, <laughs> this is one of those, and it was completely stolen from real life. And I had, and so in, it was raining. I didn't have a hat, didn't have an umbrella. So they gave me a shower cap and I put it right on and I started to walk outside, you know, onto Mass Ave. And, and the, <laughs> my hairdresser friend, she was like, couldn't believe I me. Mean, she's 29. She said, you're going to walk home like that? I was like, absolutely. No one's going to see me. I walked all the way home with the shower cap on my head. Nobody looked twice. It's very freeing. I mean, it is freeing at a certain point to not really care um, what people think. And I think that is one of the best parts of being in your 50s. And that's what Judy is like. She wears this dog. She knows she looks ridiculous. She just doesn't give a shit. She's going to do it anyway. Who cares? If you like podcasts like the Maris Review, then you'll love Kobo audiobooks. Listening to audiobooks let you fit more reading time into your life. 
Even when I'm stress eating or cleaning, I love to listen to an audiobook to get me out of my own head. There are two great ways to save. You can start an audiobook subscription and get your first book free. The book is yours to keep even if you cancel. And then every month afterwards, pay just $9.99 and you can choose an audiobook from the Kobo catalog, regardless of the price. Some audiobooks can cost upwards of $35 or $40, so a Kobo subscription is the best way to save money every single month. Or two, you can use the code MARIS40 to get 40% off one of their select audiobooks curated by Kobo's audiobook experts. To get started, visit kobo.com slash MarisReview. Start listening to Kobo audiobooks today. Once again, that's kobo.com slash MarisReview. I love your depiction of private school and um, it seems like there is a lot to poke fun at. You know, you get to that point and you can't believe that there is so much because you feel like it can't really be this fertile territory. <laughs> and you get into your own – you know, my son was in regular regular public school and it didn't work for me. He had some learning stuff and we moved to a Montessori school, which was great for a couple of years and then not so great after that. And you just can't believe it. It's like the absurdity and the humor and, yeah, every every everyone has their story. And it seems related to other more touchy-feely internet age stuff. Like there's there's this self-help guru in yeah. your book yeah. um, who has a very strong brand <laughs> um, who's probably full of shit. Yeah. I, there are a lot of those on, on the internet and on Instagram and everything. And Judy becomes really obsessed with – her success. She's obsessed with the fact that she can brand herself and market herself. Mm-hmm. Judy feels like such a failure. She just – she sort of mocks her and hates the fact that she knows she's kind of a phony, but she's also drawn to her because she's thinking there's maybe there's some way yeah. I can learn. And I think when I was going through my years of um, the lean, the really, really lean years, I would try to do things creatively and then I would feel sort of like I'd failed when I couldn't monetize them like for a while Mm. I was making these really short videos on the extra normal platform and I would script these little shorts they were like two two and a half minutes long usually and they were I call them annoying conversations and there was (laughs) they were a way to trick myself into writing I would sit down and sort of write an annoying thing that happened like you get invited for dinner and then there's no dinner (laughs) <laughs> I didn't understand that or all these, you know, things that happen when you're a couple or when you have kids or when you're trying to talk to your kid or when you're dealing with people in the world. And I had so much fun doing them and I did a whole bunch of them and people liked them and they were on Twitter and they were here. And then at a certain point I was like, well, I can't seem to get anything from this. Like mm. where's my deal? Where's my right. money? Where's the monetization? Yeah. And it didn't work. And so I felt like ugh, every time I did something, I felt like I was spinning my wheels and I wrote a script. Um, a film script that my agents really liked and never sold, and which is what usually happens. And I sort of felt, ugh, another like I did. I'm doing it. I'm trying. And so Judy, in the same way, is just always, you know, looking at this um, creativity expert named Sari Epstein and like, how does she do it? And and then she ends up going for a weekend, a creativity weekend, in the hopes that she'll some of her success will rub off on her. 
not to spoil it too much, but uh, Judy's husband then composes a song that maybe I identified with. Can we talk about that? Yeah. So Judy's <laughs> husband has um, – so they're separated even though they live in the same house still. And Gary has – you know, was a musician and he doesn't work at the moment because he has severe anxiety. And so they they have this kind of strained marriage. And it ends up um, through a series of, you know, circumstances that Gary ends up going on this creativity weekend with Judy. Of course, Judy just wants to get away from Gary yes. and go on this thing by herself. But he ends up going and it's all women – and everyone loves Gary because he's so lovable and he's so honest. He's full of anxiety and he's just, you know, all over himself with anxiety and they just love him. And he – and um, during one of the creativity exercises of the weekend, um, he writes a little song about how um, he's jealous of the dog because she, <laughs> because Judy shows so much love and affection toward the dog and not toward him and – it's a he plays it on a ukulele. And, <laughs> yeah, that that's helpful. I think a lot of people have that situation. And I think I think also a lot of people. My husband has a situation where <laughs> um, he married someone with severe anxiety, and that's a commitment. That's yeah. that's an actual thing you have to consider. Yeah. Um, and Judy yeah. took on Gary's yeah. pain. As her own for a long time. Yeah, you know, mental health issues are one of those things that people don't talk about or don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable copping to in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in my life, we do have those some of those issues that we deal with. My husband came with a lot of kind of baggage, as do I in a different way. But, sure. you know, you think it's going to be easy when you're young. You're sort of like you're full of ho- – and, and it's, it is really hard. It's hard for him. It's really hard for me. It's – you know, and we, we muddle through. But it's sort of that – that is very touchy territory when you start to try to share that with people. People do mm-hmm. not. People are afraid of it. They are embarrassed of their own stuff. So they, it's not right. kind of a thing where people suddenly want to share. They just kind of walk away. And so – um, it's a weird line to walk, I think, because it's isolating when you and everybody has the, these yeah, kinds of issues. It's not like they're so rare, but they're so hidden that I think the minute you go, you go there. It, uh, I've seen it a lot of times. People just shut they just kind of nod and they just shut down and they do not. And sometimes, like you know, years later, I'll get an email from someone and they'll they'll say, "Oh, I had you know similar blah 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 whatever," but not in the moment. It's it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. And speaking of hard, um, you write about grief with such humor and insight, and um, and no easy answers. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I just I was thinking today because today is the fifth anniversary of um, my friend Lisa Adams' um, mm. passing, death, and um, she's. Someone that I was friends with, and a lot, a lot of people. She touched a lot of people's lives, and you know, it's still kind of impossible to believe. Um, mm. And I think it's just so incredibly weird in a great way that today, you know, I'm sitting here talking about it, you know, and I'm thinking of her as I, I think of her a lot. And um, you know, we lose different people along the way, and we lose different versions of ourselves along the way, and we grieve for all of those things. And I think that you get to a point where 
that kind of kindness and wanting to be connected to other people is what really saves you. I mean, for me, it just had so much loss and and so mm-hmm. many people do, but I had always been kind of like not a joiner and a right. loner. And, you know, I love being around people, but then I also just l- like to be a part. And so I've always grappled with that feeling of like, and, you know, not joining, like I never joined a temple and I never joined mm. a thing and I'm not part of a book group. And I, <laughs> and after, you know, at first I was like, you know, so proud. Oh, I don't, I, don't, I dropped out of my book group. And now I'm like, why did I drop out of my book group 20 years ago? Like people have been in their book groups for 20 years and you hear these great stories of how people have been in the same book group and, you know, through kids and that death and everything. And it's like, why? Why didn't I stay? I know oh, why. I know why. I mean, I know why. <laughs> I find book groups really, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. I just did. They're not for me. But <laughs> but I always wished I had been more of a joiner. The um, the idea of communion with other yes. people around something yes. is is really helpful, yes. even though, yeah, I don't like so many people's book opinions. That no. I, I, yeah, just I could not, never do it. Sooner join a bowling club, then I just don't think I'm meant for a book group. Yeah. Speaking of which, though, do you have any books that you've been reading lately that you have been enjoying and want to talk about? I um, just bought the new Jenny Offal. Mm. Offal? I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm a huge fan of her, so I'm dying to read whether. I did love Ada Calhoun's book. I loved... um, I just reread um, An Abbreviated Life by Ariel Leave. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite books. Yeah. And I love Elizabeth Strout, and I just read her latest, and I just love her fiction. I I feel like that book presented me with some hope for even the worst, worst, worst times in life. I know. That's why we read them. That's why we read them. That's why we hug dogs and read books. I I know. It's the only hope these days. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was great to be here. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.